Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. My name's Trent. I have the privilege of being the pastor here. Thanks for joining us today. We're going <clears> to <throat> open our Bibles um, to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one off the sides of the tech booth back there. Uh, it's the exact same uh, copy that I'll be reading from. And uh, if you are a user of the Bible app, feel free to uh, open that app. You can follow along, find our live event, and then follow along. Uh, with that. Let's pray. We'll ask for God's help and then we'll get going. Uh, I believe this morning, Father, you've got a word for us um, individually, as different families, and as a church family. And so I'm asking that you, by your Holy Spirit, would go to work and speak. Do the things in us uh, that need to get done, uh, do the things for us that need to get done. God, we are open. And say, whatever you want, whatever you want from us, that's, that's what we uh, want to. And there's not a place in the world, Father, that we could turn, that could speak the words of life to us. Um, so uh, c- come, your people are gathered here, your children, speak to us, Father. And why don't you take just a moment and finish that prayer. And then I will close. Holy Spirit, do what's consequential here. That's what we ask in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen and amen. One more time, glad that you're here. Um, We are going to take today and uh, just have a minute where we uh, think about this particular passage in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, if if you grew up around church, you may know the answer to this. If you didn't, it's okay. You can cheat by going up to the top of chapter 11. But there's a single word that gets associated with Hebrews chapter 11, and that word is... That was pretty lame, people. That word is faith. Thank you so much. That's much better. Uh, Some of you were still trying to find Hebrews 11, maybe. That's cool. Hebrews 11 is associated with faith. Now, if you didn't uh, know that, again, uh, you're not like uh, docked points or anything like that. Just simply say, this is a really famous passage about faith. And so all throughout the um, 11th chapter, the author of Hebrews is saying, uh, hey, by faith, so-and-so did this. By faith, so-and-so did that. And by faith, they lived like this. And by faith, they changed that. And by faith, they moved here and did that. And so today, we're going to pick up on one of those a little be story snippets. Now, all of Hebrews 11 fits in a very, very broad context that the Bible calls the Old Testament. So, I mean, like, it's basically the story of the Old Testament uh, in 11 pretty poetic, uh, uh, excuse me, in chapter 11 in in, uh, several poetic verses. But, man, it's really powerful. So, we're going to pick up one snippet of that. But before we get there, I wanted to be thinking about the actual nature of faith. Uh, The, the, um, the church during the Reformation time, about the 1500s, they had a lot of people thinking about the necessity of faith and the nature of faith. And so they came up with kind of a three-part recipe um, for faith. And uh, they all, uh, they assigned, because it was the 1500s, they assigned Latin words to it. And who didn't come to church today for a Latin lesson? Who's with me? Yeah, okay. The three, the three Latin words are, are this. Uh, that is faith has these three components. One is notitia. Uh, 
That is this sense of logic or facts. Um, the, the Bible, the way that the Bible talks about faith, it is fact-based. Jesus came. Jesus died. It is a historical fact. Jesus rose again. It is a historical fact. So the, the Bible talks about all of that in terms of historical, literal, genuine facts. You and I would talk about so-and-so was president back then, and they were talking about Jesus is the Lord in that kind of factual way. And then all of the other stuff builds off of that. All of the system of ethics, all of the system of uh, morality, all of the system of how we do life together in community, all the system of church and leadership and all the other things that come with that. All of that is built on these historical facts. I say that to say around here we talk about how the Bible has the best possible answers to the most important questions of life. All of those are rooted in facts. And we can uh, uh, mentally stay engaged with faith. We don't have to uh, lose our brains in order to be people of faith. Facts. Logic. Notitia. Uh, the second part of that, though, is that it's not enough biblically uh, to call it faith. Now, you can call it any number of other things, but it's not enough biblically to call it faith. Um, to have it merely in our heads. Hey, I am giving a, an assent to this fact that Jesus has done this or Jesus said this or whatever. I can check that box. That truth, that fact, that logic has to work its way down into the inner core of who I am, my soul, my heart. It has to make its way from here to here. It has to move in me and then it moves me. When it moves from here to here, when it moves in me, then it moves me. And they, they call that a census or the sense of conviction. So now we've got head stuff and we've also got heart stuff. I am feeling something that is true about this. In other words, I know it in my gut, so to speak. This is a census. Um, so not only head, but also heart. So not only allegiance, if you will, to facts, but also uh, kind of affections. Things get stirred inside of me. Notitia, a census. And then James, the um, little brother of Jesus, wrote a um, letter in the New Testament. And he said in this about faith, it's right actually uh, after, right after, excuse me, located right after the book of Hebrews. Uh, he says this, that faith without works is, if you know the completion, what is it? Dead. Faith without works is dead. So biblically, faith is not just believing some facts and saying these things are true. It is not just being moved and having a sense of conviction about the truth or the, the trueness of those facts, but also it is then I am willing to live my life as if those things were true. And that is actually the genuine test. That Those three legs comprise the stool that is biblical faith. Notitia or logic or facts, a census, conviction, feeling around that, and fiducia, the sense of action. I am ready to move and act and live as if these things are true. So in light of that, let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, all of these things, notitia, a census, uh, and fiducia, by faith, by logic, conviction, and action, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. We're going to pause there for just a minute. Uh, and I want to just highlight three particular words. They all kind of work there in uh, verse 8, but we'll talk about, um, talk about them from a, a little bit broader context. And the first word is this sense of calling. 
this sense of calling. Calling is the idea, uh, the sense that we have that God has placed us on the earth for a purpose. Uh, it is, it, we are here for a reason, and we're here for a unique reason. Uh, God made you to do some things, and you over here to do some things, and you back there to do some things, and you all up here to do some things. God gave us each a unique reason to be here on the planet, and we discern that sense of calling. We have a sense of, of uh, how God has wired us as we uh, grow and mature, and we look at our passions, our experiences, our gifts, and our strengths, those kind of components make up this sense of calling. But here in particular, Abraham, uh, it's detailed in Genesis, uh, the last part of Genesis 11, first part of Genesis 12, uh, where uh, Abraham, uh, God says to Abraham, hey, look, man, it's time to leave your place, your homeland, and you go out. And you just, you just follow me. And what's going to happen is some pretty amazing stuff. God gave him a sense of calling. So I just want to tell you uh, a couple of things about this calling. Number one, it is a step of faith always. Whenever you live out and live in the calling that you have, it is a step of faith always. So here in Abraham's case, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Did God give it to him yet? No. Nope. So he was to receive. So that was all future stuff. And then look at verse, uh, at the last part of verse 8. And he went out not knowing where he was going. So sometimes it's very, very clear and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it is well-worn paths and you go, oh, I understand what's going on. And sometimes it is a new, uh, a new experience altogether. Sometimes it's clear and sometimes it's not. As a church family, there are several things that are uh, happening uh, uh, kind of in our, in our broad church family. Now, there are things that are happening in your individual lives. Uh, there are things that are happening in your individual families. And there are things that are happening in our church family. Let me just give you a couple uh, church family-wise. Uh, tonight we're going to meet, 5 o'clock. Uh, it, it's the... Uh, um, the church conference where we talk about the 2020 budget. We're taking a big leap of faith saying, God, we, we believe that you're going to do some big things and you want to use us. And so we've got that. And then uh, we're going to plant a church. A big part of that budget is, is uh, uh, preparing to plant this church down in the middle part of Galveston County, which we're stoked about. We believe that God has called us about, uh, called us to do, but I've never planted a church. Most of us have never planted a church. Most of us have never even been a part of a church that has planted a church. We don't know what we're doing except to go, okay, God, what's, uh, we're just following. We, we want to do uh, what you want. We've got to hire a new student pastor because we're going to kick our old student pastor out to plant the church. I mean, we've got all of this stuff happening as a church family. And what do we say? Hey, this is a big step of faith. What does that look like? Well, the image that I have been using, that Kyle has been using, as we've talked about these things, and this would be helpful maybe for us as a church family, but also for you as a family and you as an individual. How many of you uh, ever interacted with a Polaroid camera? Oh, no. Yeah, okay, good. That's a little bit better than what I thought it was going to be. But in case you missed out on the Polaroid, uh, I think they kind of came back, right? Like kind of like nouveau thing. So, uh, but anyway, in case you missed out in the old school days, it was, you know, like carrying around a small Amazon package with you and, uh, and you'd hold it. Am I wrong about this? You're like, why are you walking around with a large box around your neck? Different story. So you, you'd hold it up, right? And you'd take the picture, and then it would start making these, these noises and machinations. Like, and out would come. Out would come something, right? And you hold it, right? And your mom would slap your hand. Don't touch that part. Don't touch that part. You're like, I'm just trying to grab the thing, mom. Quit hitting me. So you'd hold it there. And then there were two schools of thought. One was, shake that, right? And somebody pointed out, nobody makes a song about the other school of thought. You shake it like a Polaroid, right? But on the other side, 
The other side was what? What was the other school of thought? Lay that sucker down, right? Sometimes turn it over. Most of us were turn it over people. So let's just take a quick vote. For those of you who are Polaroid experienced, how many of you were shake it school people? Great. How many of you were turn it over and leave it alone people? Uh, you have been significantly outvoted, apparently. So we'll line up here in a minute and, uh, I don't know, play Red Rovers. I don't know what we'll do. But nonetheless, we're divided here. So uh, you got it. Okay. And, and so here's what's true about that, right? As the Polaroid came out, and you're sitting there holding it. Did you have the picture? That's just it, isn't it? Right? That's just it. Yes, you had the picture. But no, you didn't have the picture. Yes, you had the photo. But no, there wasn't clarity. When it comes to where we are as a church right now, maybe where you are as a family or where you are as an individual, You've got the calling. God has said, it's time. And you're shaking it and going, God, I just need some more clarity on this deal. I just need some more clarity on this thing. That, that, that's where we are as a church. People are like, what's the church going to be called? I don't know. God hadn't told us yet. Well, what's this going to happen? I don't know. The, the Polaroid has not developed that far yet. True for us as a church. Maybe true for you as a family Maybe true for you as an individual. It's a step. Whenever God calls for us to respond, to hear that and to respond, it is a step of faith always. Second part, though, it's also an adventure. So here we've got Abraham. Look at verse um, 8 again. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. That part's awesome. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Um, what is that? What does that mean? What does that look like? It is an adventure. This is what I say. It's an adventure sometimes. It's a step of faith always, but it's an adventure sometimes. Sometimes God calls us to things. And again, these are well-worn paths that we get to walk. And when we get those, we go, man, thank you. I know what I'm doing. I kind of have a sense of the lay of the land here. This is a good thing. And sometimes God's like, hey, you're picking up and you're going from here over to here. You're like, God, we've never done it this way before. God's like, let's go. It's an adventure sometimes. And what that does, here's, here's why I think it's important to say it. That frees us from a sense of comparison, a sense of shame, or a sense of over or under-spiritualizing something. And you, just, you don't have to blame God or give God credit for things that he, he, he didn't do. So, like, here's what I mean by that. Just picture this in your brain, okay? Let's say God shows up to Abraham and uh, uh, it's like, hey, Abraham, I'm going to go. We're going to go on this journey. I'm going to give you a land to receive his inheritance. And Abraham's like, nah, man, I want to build a boat like Noah. God's like, we've already done the boat thing. Like we've already, I got something completely different for you. Yeah, but like, I know what the boat thing, I know how that turned out. I want to do this instead. What would we have missed out on? What would Abraham have missed out on? What, what, how would the story have changed? So it's an adventure, and it frees us from comparison. We don't need to worry about what other people are called to do or what these folks over here are called to do. It frees us from a sense of shame. Well, my calling is not the same. No, 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 no. Put all that aside. It frees us from those things, but it also frees us to something, and that is this. It frees us to focus on the things that we know we are supposed to be doing. It frees us from all of this other stuff, but it frees us to focus on the things that we know we're supposed to be doing. Because what's the greatest, I think, probably uh, in our particular context, suburbia, what's the greatest threat to us actually living out the calling that God's given us? It's the 100,000 distractions that come our way. 
So my wife last weekend was at a concussion course, a part of her continuing ed, and uh, we got to talking about it this week, and uh, I'm going to bring her up and uh, let her uh, do the explaining on this, because I want you to picture this um, as this happens. So this is my wife, everybody. Lisa Williams. Oh, we've recruited another volunteer. I love that. Hey, Lisa, this went great in the first service. We're not giving you a concussion. I just I didn't. Promise. <laughs> You're down there. I needed to pick somebody angelic, and I was looking around the room, and I'm like, oh. Okay, so Lisa represents heaven. Okay, so. Apparently, I'm not heaven. Okay. Okay, so um, at this course that I was at, we were talking about treating people with concussions. And one of the things that um, patients with concussions have, they have a hard time focusing and then also uh, not being distracted by the things going on in their environment and that not taking them off of their focus or causing them um, unnecessary problems. And so um, Trent and I got to talking about it and we were saying how much this is like the spiritual walk. And so kind of erase the concussion thought, and I'm going to spell this out for you. So picture this string is your spiritual journey. This is your, it has little beads on it, and he is looking down the string and essentially trying to converge and focus on the beads. So think about this being your spiritual journey, and these beads can represent things like your calling, your family, your spiritual growth, and you're focusing on these things, right? And then comes along, hold on. And we really do do this in the clinic. Um, then comes along these distractions, right? These things going on in the periphery. And so let's see. This one is what that person said or didn't say, right? And then what do we do? We put down our focus on where God's calling us. And now we're focused on this distraction that's flying at us, right? So what we need to do is actually bat these away. So to stay focused, to see these things flying at us in our periphery, know that they're the enemy throwing these things at us, and just bat them away. So here is that person at work or school. No! And doubts about your marriage. Nope. And what you looked at on your computer screen. Nope. Or maybe it is, let's look at this one. What people say about how you do family. Oh, uh, get out. And that class that makes you feel like maybe you don't have what it takes to do what God's called you to. So you, you say your own thing. But the other day I was kind of going through something like this and praying. And God gave me this image from this course and said, Jenny, stay focused and just bat that trash away. And so if you have something that's trying to capture your um, attention or your affection or whatever it may be from what God's called you to, who you are, stand on the truth of your identity and your calling, close your eyes, and just swat that mess away. So, yeah. Uh, good, 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 good. Lisa Williams, Jenny Henderson, everybody. So, a step of faith always, an adventure sometimes. And as you live this stuff out, you can be sure. I mean, you just can. You can be sure that this stuff will um, come flying at you. But here God has given you this unique calling. 
And the question is, then what are you going to do with that? So Abraham, by faith, Abraham, verse 8, by faith, Abraham, what did he do? He obeyed. That's the second word. So we've got calling. Second word is obedience. Uh, by faith, Abraham obeyed. Uh, so when, when we think about obedience, and, and sometimes um, in our minds, we may go something like this. Look, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here. I don't know how I'm supposed to respond. I don't know about any of that kind of stuff. I wish God would just talk to me. I just wish God would speak to me. I think hearing God is the hardest part. I'm not saying that there aren't moments when hearing God is, difficult, uh, is not difficult. I mean, it is sometimes when there's distractions flying our way or when there's uh, the chaos of life around us. or what. It is very difficult. We have to clear space to be still before God. We have to clear space to, uh, in our calendar to take time to pray, to hear from his word, to be in important conversations with people where God can use other people to speak to us. I'm not saying it's always easy to hear God. What I am saying, though, is that the hardest part of experiencing and following God is our actual obedience. It's not hearing God, it's obeying God. God is a good enough communicator that I promise you this, that you can, excuse me, he can speak to you in a way that you will understand. He's a good communicator. Again, we may have to clear space to hear him, but this sense of calling gets followed up with obedience. And it is obedience that is the hardest part of following. By faith, Abraham obeyed. He obeyed. Let me just give you a couple of uh, thoughts on this obedience side. Um, so often, we do not know the next step. We wish we did. Um, like, we wish, is anybody planners out here? Planners? Yeah, like you wish that uh, if God said, hey, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go here, here, here. And you'll be like, okay, great. Can I have the next four kind of iterations of this, the next four steps that I need to take, the next four things that I need to get done? And God's like, nope. And you're like, hey, 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 hey. That doesn't fit inside of my plan. God typically is only worried about us taking the next step, whatever that is. The step of obedience is the hardest step, and the hardest step is the next step, whatever that is. So often, we don't nail the next step um, until we actually take the one that's before us. So we're thinking about steps two, three, and four. God's like, take this step. Then you will find out more about the next step. The Bible says it this way in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet. We want headlights. God gives us a lamp right here, right here, just enough to see the next step. And then as we step forward, what do we find? There's a little bit more light on the path. A little, it, it stretches a little bit further. What about, take another step. The, the next step, whatever that is for you, is the hardest step. And then it's that, at that point that God gives us more, okay? Uh, to, to, to kind of mitigate um, our, our frustration with this and, and our, our concern about this, our lack of trust in this, to mitigate. God only tells us a little bit at a time. Why? Because if we knew the end from the beginning, you know what we would do? Bail. Every one of us. How many of you have gone through a season of life where you know that if you knew how hard it was going to be, how tough it was going to be, how difficult it was going to be, how chaotic it was going to be, how any number of other things it was going to be, that you would not have entered into it in the first place? How many have had that season of life? Raise your hand real high. You are not alone. You're not. I want to point this out. Can we skip down to verse 13? 
these all, so this is Abraham, this is Isaac, it's Jacob, it's Sarah. These all died in faith. And then listen to what he says. Not having received the things that were promised. They didn't actually experience the promised land as the promised land. God says, Abraham, I'm going to take you out uh, to this place. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. Um, you don't know this yet, but your descendants are going to be the ones to get it. Abraham's like, uh, wait, so I don't get this? Like, I don't get to see this. I don't get to experience this. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, he saw them. It was just a long way off, having knowledge that they were strangers and exiles here on the earth. So God, if we knew the end from the beginning, we wouldn't go. And I, I think what we need to walk away from here is that if, if we expect God to work through us, which is a good thing, I think we most need to expect God to work in us. Because here is Abraham transformed from a, a, a pagan idolater to somebody who is the father of our faith. And as much as God worked through him, and he did some pretty cool stuff, he mostly worked in him. True for Abraham, true for us too. A couple of other things here, just quickly. Uh, n- number, uh, I guess the second bullet under this obedience thing. I, I think you and I, and we don't, probably don't talk about this enough, but as we follow God, I think we ought to expect miracles. I think we ought to expect God to do things that only God can do on our behalf and on behalf of his people. Expect miracles. I'm not saying there's going to be one under every rock, uh, but, but I think we ought to expect these things, that God will provide for us exactly what we need, exactly when we need it. How many of you have ever experienced that before? Okay, here we are. So we, we are. We're people who've, who know what this is like. I think we ought to expect miracles. So uh, skipping down to verse 11. By faith, Sarah... Sarah is Abraham's wife, uh, herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age. She was old. Uh, Since she had considered him faithful who had promised, God who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. Abraham was old too. So they were both old. And yet what happened? Were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Uh, Abraham and Sarah are far past childbearing age. God brings a child to them through Sarah's body, the child of promise they call, and on and on. We could, the whole Abraham, Abraham story there. Listen, we ought to expect God to do miracles. Bring us exactly what we need, exactly when we need it. And it's just, this be a normal part of our life such that we can look and go, hey, that was, that was God at work there. I see that. I see that. Lastly, is that I think you and I need to realize that as we live in obedience um, and as we expect miracles, that there will be sacrifice that is required. I want to skip back up to verse 9. By faith, he went out to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. He left his hometown he left a house. He left all of that kind of stuff. And what did he do? He went to live in this other place in tents with his kids and his grandkids. Does that sound appealing to anyone in here? We'll just get y'all a big RV, put three generations in there, and let y'all just travel. What do you think? Charlie Parton, you down for that? No, you're not down for that. Like I brought the RV to escape all those people. There's sacrifice that's required. And as a part of that, part of this sacrifice is he lived in such a way that his, was, his life was so different uh, that, that the Bible, 
what we read just a second ago in verse 13, called him, it's something like a stranger in an exile. Part of the sacrifice is that we will live as strangers and exiles while we're here. Our lives will be different. Our lives will be different. Chaos starts swirling. We live at peace. Somebody gets wrapped around the axle about something, you and I, we have perspective. People are like clenching their fists and not sure what to do. We become generous. People have priorities that are reflected of any number of things. Our priorities stay true to this kingdom that is unshakable. Our allegiance is his. People um, consistently work for their own comfort and ease. We are consistently giving our lives away in service. On and on we could go. Sacrifice will be required. His life looks different. And our lives will look different too as we hear the calling of God and obey. And lastly, and I don't want to skip this part because it's, it's, it's important, uh, that there is reward. That there is reward. So skip down to verse 14. For people who speak thus about their homeland, living as strangers and aliens and so forth, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They're not there yet, but they're, make, they're seeking that. Verse 15. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. So what's the idea here? Uh, that if I consistently think about the glory days back then, that my heart will do what? Go backwards. God doesn't want us to go backwards. He wants us to move forward. Um, <clears throat> Verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So what's, what's the reward here? Number one, he walked with God. That's its own reward. He walked with God. He, the very thing for which he was created, he got to do. The Bible even describes Abraham as the, the friend of God. So, secondly, though, um, he, he got to see miracles. It, it, is, it is its own reward uh, because forever and ever and ever you have a story to tell, right? God, Abraham got to see God do amazing things. Bring a child into the world from people in their 90s, right? Uh, um, uh, see generations happen. He, he became a, a warrior kind of nomad and all of this uh, God provided for him in ways that he never would have guessed. He got to see miracles and he got to pass those stories down uh, to those around him. And some of us need to be good storytellers. Thanksgiving's coming up here. One of the great things that you could do, sit around your table with your family and tell stories of the things that you have seen God do. We get to be a part of that. And lastly, um, they, they found the city. Look, look again, verse 16, as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed. He's not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared for them a city. He, they found that city. They, he walked with God, and he was welcomed in to that place. They weren't looking back to the glory days. They were looking forward to the better city, the one that was prepared by God. And so, some of us are at different places here. 
Some of us are finding distractions. Some of us are really desperate to hear God. Some of us are, are figuring out what does obedience look like. And so I just, I'm going to leave you with uh, four questions that are going to pop up on the screen here. Uh, just, and then we're going to have some, a moment here for you just to ponder. You don't have to write them down. If you want to grab your phone and just snap a quick picture or whatever, they're also, uh, they'll be in the sermon notes and discussion questions on the website. But four questions. What do you need from God right now? What do you need from God right now? What, what distractions are coming at you? You're trying to stay focused. It's not near as easy as it looks. <laughs> Locked in on a bead on a string. Stuff's coming at you. What distractions are flying at you? What area of your life do you wish he'd speak to right now? God, I really need to hear you about. Or lastly, what promise are you holding on to? that is keeping you going. It's going to give me motivation. It's going to be energy, something for tomorrow. Or that is keeping me grounded. Everything in me wants to go flying. What's going to keep you rooted, right, solid? Right? What promise are you holding on to that is keeping you going or keeping you grounded? So here's what I want to do. I just want to have a moment here where you take a minute. Think about these questions. Ask for God to speak to you about these things. And then we'll have some time to respond. Let's pray.